you'd go to Romans chapter 4, our theme for the year is wholehearted, and we're going to be putting that into a lot of things. Um, we do have a Valentine's Sunday, our Valentine's progressive dinner coming up. We're going to try to put our heart back into relationships, our heart back into church, heart back into marriage. We want to be wholehearted about this. How tragic would it be to never give your heart to something completely? And uh, I want to give my heart entirely to some things and I'm going to talk about a little bit of that today if you give me the grace to do so but let's start in Romans 4 today as we read you can keep playing right through the reading brother I appreciate that very awesome very awesome so Romans 4 and we'll start in verse number 18 who against hope everyone say hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations this is talking about Abraham here. Who might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken. Everyone say it was spoken. There was a promise. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. Everyone say weak in faith. It's a bad place to be. Be he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb see he was promised to have a son and when you get a promise at 90 years old to have a son you kind of want a second opinion on that <laughs> and so what's going on here is this happens in the Old Testament it's referenced now in Romans and the writer here is saying he knew how hard this would be but he believed God over it and he wasn't weak in faith in order to do this now that his body was dead and even his wife's womb was now dead in verse 20 he said he staggered not at the promise how could that possibly happen it's feasibly impossible it's physiologically impossible but he didn't stagger at the magnitude of that promise I'm going to give you something here if you stay with me for a little bit that's going to allow you to have God's blessings not just be on your life but come to pass in your life. You'll see it right here in just a minute. Of God through unbelief. So he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. Did you know when you're strong in faith you give glory to God? That's really what we're doing here. And being fully persuaded. Everyone say fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness or was counted as righteousness in his life Jesus blessed the hearing and the preaching of the word in Jesus name everyone said amen you may be seated let's embarrass Dean and give him a hand keyboard I want to say that I grew up and knew a lot of uh, a lot of things I should knew, but uh, no. But I actually grew up pretty clueless. I was just uh, I loved to snowboard and mountain bike. I lived in Alaska. We went hunting, and I didn't even know what I was doing when I went hunting. It was pretty bad. And so I just got a picture the other day to my phone, and it was a friend of mine. It was actually my second cousin who was 
meeting up with some people at a big conference in the United States, and they sent me a picture of a friend of mine who I remember now looking back, it was a really bad idea, but I went back to Alaska in 2010, and I decided that I was going to go hunting for bear. How many know hunting for bear? You need to know what you're doing. Well, I thought that my guide was well able. See how I worked that in. He was well able to handle taking us out into the wilderness where there was all this danger. And my friend Stacy Hall, so she sent me a picture of Stacy Hall and his wife in a bookstore they had met at this conference. And it brought back floods of memories of the time where I entrusted my life into his hands to go bear hunting. So we are going to float in a canoe. I have his 30-06. He has a shotgun that's semi-automatic in case the bear doesn't like the, sh the, the first shot he needs to put him down. Now, this is something that happens all the time with hunters. They have someone who backs them up. But he was behind me. We were in a canoe, and we're floating across the most serene and beautiful lake I have ever been on, I think, in my life, with Mount McKinley in front of us, with it creating its own atmosphere off the top. You can see the wind pushing the snow. And if you look down on the water, the water had become so still that it mirrored the mountain. So you were looking at Mount McKinley twice. It was the most beautiful picture of God's creation. I just sat there, and I just breathed it all in. And literally, the, it was like a mirror, and there was no movement on the water. But what we didn't know is that tranquil moment would quickly turn to tragedy because he had not checked how high the water levels were in the river we were headed to. So when we got to the river, there was, I don't even know what the classification of rapids it would be, but we were in a canoe when we should be in a raft. I'll just say that. So... I soon put the, put the gun on safety and put it down between my legs, and we were rowing for everything we could at moments. And when we weren't rowing, we were floating so low that the bottom of the canoe was scraping the ground. And there were so many salmon in the water that the water was red. I know you think this is story hour. I'm going somewhere. But the salmon were so full in there that I couldn't put a paddle in the water without slapping a salmon. So I had a good time. Um... Uh, we were playing ping pong with Salmon for a while. It was just me and him. But we, the enjoyable parts were those still moments floating and seeing all the nature and the beauty. And there's all these salmon carcasses on the rocks. So we knew there was a lot of bear. And we were scaring them off because we were, you know, gliding along the bottom. And so there was no way that our canoe was not going to scare off a bear. So we float into this opening and there he is. He's on the bank on the left side. He stands up. A Denali Grizzly, he's a beast. His head, I couldn't believe how head, big his head was. His head was easily as big as this pulpit, probably even bigger. But he just, he saw us first. And so when I looked up, he was already on his way to his back legs. He stood up and he looked at us like, oh, what are you doing here? Like, I don't even know what you are. You don't look like a salmon, but I could eat you. I'll try anyway. So he stood up, he looks at us. We look at him. He's probably more afraid of us than we are. I go to put the oar down, and I tick the side of the boat with the oar. I was trying to sit it on my legs and pick up my gun. I get my gun up, and I start to turn, and he jumps into the woods. And my guide at that point gave me a very clear indication as to how well able he was to be on this guide. Because he said, why don't you shoot him through the woods? 
Because there's so many grizzly bear out there getting in their trash cans and all that. He said, they're just pigs. You, just, you should have just shot them. And I was thinking, you don't shoot into places you can't see. Number one on hunter safety list. Okay, and so then I realized that he was not well qualified to be taking me into grizzly territory. Number two, if you wound a grizzly bear and then go after them, they will flop you around like a rubber chicken in the woods and they will gang up on you. So I realized, number two, you don't pursue an injured animal. And so I started to process in my head that this might not be the best guide for my trip. And so we continued on, and we thought, well, we'll have another shot, hopefully another chance. But we got to some very rough waters, and the whole river turned a corner. And at that point, I was unable to row fast enough. I mean, I was doing the Flintstone roll. I mean, I was moving as fast as I could, only with my arms. And I could not make that boat turn because of the rushing water. And we stuck into a rock, the boat turned and filled with water, and all the stuff that could float, floated downstream. And we lost everything that we had in our hands. And luckily, we, ha we hung on to some things. And the boat finally moved over, and it was just full of water just floating there. But I unfortunately got into the turn of the water, and I was getting slapped against the rocks as I was hollering, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. I thought I was going to die. My life flashed before me. And at that point, I was like not wanting to be in the presence of this guide. And I found out later on that he had, in another trip, put his rifle into the truck of my youth, pa my old youth pastor, and discharged his rifle through his front windshield. That was when I knew that I had picked the wrong guide. Uh, probably being slapped against the rock, I realized that too. But he had lost his shotgun in the water, and it was along a rock. I think I just shared this story with somebody. That's why it's so funny and fresh in my mind. But he had lost, and there was this log right here. And so he's like, that's my shotgun. My, I got it when I was 16. My grandfather gave it to me. Would you just help me look along this, this, this big old log right here? It had, had to have gotten trapped under there. So we're digging underneath, looking for his lost shotgun. This, you know, this, this nostalgia is overwhelming me like oh I don't want him to lose his his shotgun from his grandfather well about that time he pulls out in slow motion the gun out of the water and he's doing the full Rambo yeah! and he fires it rule number three never fire a weapon that has been near mud or possibly plugged at this point, he has violated every single hunter safety law that I can personally think of. And we've only been hunting for an hour. I thought, this can't get any worse. I should not have said that. But anyways, as we're floating downriver, we finally start to collect our things. And what was great about it was all the stuff started collecting on the shores. And as we floated by, we were able to fill the boat with the things that we lost. That doesn't always happen. But as we got to the end of the corner, we realized that the water was too low to continue. So I finished our hunt with our guns over our shoulders, carrying the canoe down the river. That's what my guided tour was like. Because he was not qualified to do the job. I want to segue from a horrible story that I survived into the scriptures where we realize that when God makes a promise, he's well able to accomplish anything he promises you. Amen? He is not a poorly 
suitable guide for your life. If you put anything in God's hands and entrust it to him, he will make sure it comes out for your best. I wish I had a church to preach to because I really feel like preaching. And if you don't mind, I might be a little bit Pentecostal today. Since you happen to be in a Pentecostal church, you might get a little Pentecostal preaching. I do believe that in this day there is a prophetic utterance in our world. That there is a space for grace. That God has offered an opportunity for whosoever will to come to him and put their life in his hands. And they can watch God work miracles in ways they could never imagine. I know for a fact my life is a testimony of a way to get out when I had no way out. A way to make it when I had no way to make it. An opportunity through God that was not there any other way. I didn't have the chances. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the people backing me. I had no one patting me on the back saying, you're going to make it someday. You're going to have a good life. You're going to have a good marriage. You're going to have a good home with good children. No one ever said that because I didn't have a model of that. But you don't need a model when you have a Messiah. You don't need a perfect story when you have a God who came and died in a perfect story for your life. Oh my goodness, I feel like preaching. I might just preach myself happy today. Acts 2.38, we find a promise that's greater than any other promise. I want you to know that you need to, number one, give space for grace. You need to give God an opportunity to work on it. Don't hand it to him and then take it back and put it on your back and try to fix it yourself. Whenever you plant a seed, you don't go back the next day and dig it up and see if it's growing. And some of us have seeds that are planted in sorrow in our life. We had sorrow situations. Some of us have seeds that are planted in good situations. And if you go back and dig it up a week later, a month later, and try to make that thing grow, you are destroying the progress that you've already gone through. And I want you to know that in the space of grace, I feel prophetically that there is a rain that's falling on the church of today. And that rain is going to bring forth fruit in your seasons of sorrow. That's really good. (laughs) Not because I'm preaching, but that's the word of God. God can literally take the worst tragedy of your life and make it a story that brings hope and joy to somebody. The greatest tragedy is going through a struggle and not helping somebody with it. The greatest tragedy is going through a situation where you thought you had no hope and not bringing hope to somebody else through that story. I pray that every struggle I go through, I get stronger. Every triumph comes from some sort of tragedy in my life. And if I spend all my time whining to you about the tragedies that I've gone through, you will not be interested in the God that brought it to triumph. But if I will speak my testimony in such a way that exalts the triumph and not the tragedy and exalts the strength from my struggle, then you will be very interested in knowing the Savior that got me through it all. And I really feel impressed to tell you that I could not do it on my own. I wasn't smart enough. I'm not smart enough to preach some of the notes I get from God. But I tell you what, when God gives me a message, it burns in the inside so much that when we leave here in this day, day, when I go to lunch today, I'm going to know that I have laid my heart out before you of what God had told me to tell you. And I'm coming to tell you that you have given God long enough in some things and God will work in those areas. But if you just give him a a few more minutes, if you just give them a few more days, if you don't go back and shoulder it up and try yourself to make it all happen, God will give you the desires of your heart if you put him first in it. 
oh man, I just don't even, I just don't even know how to explain to you what it's like to have something that's so heavy on your heart and so heavy in your desires and so heavy in, in your understanding of what God wants to do with something or do with your life and you have no possible way of getting there. I, I just, this week, just this week, I've been doing, um, my second point is that God always gives favor for finance. God will always give favor to finance something whenever he puts something on your heart because a mission always needs provision, right? Um, a mission always needs provision. And so what we were doing this week is I was talking with uh, Jonica and we were looking at the different things that we were going to do with Project Lifespring and putting wells in um, Sri Lanka and Thailand. And we started coming down with numbers and it's his job as an engineer to, to mitigate those numbers all the way down to the point of the, the least possible amount that we could do the job for but still be successful. And he's working on that and we check in every Monday to see how the projects are going. And right now we have over 15 villages that need clean drinking water in Sri Lanka alone. Alone right now that's what we're trying I'm okay so I'm trying to do it maybe you're not but I'm trying to do it because I feel like this is my mission in life is to not only bring clean water to them but also bring the word of God to them and so we're going in with an aquaponic system our life spring well project life spring and educational books and spiritual education hello somebody we're going to give them the ability to teach their children normal arithmetic mathematics sciences but we're also going to be able to teach them spiritual things as well so it's all just one big package, and we're like, this is going to cost $50,000 per well, per aquaponic system, per location, per village, $50,000. And we're like, oh, we don't know how that's going to happen. I have no way of getting there right now financially. And I was like, God, how are you going to do this? And by the end of the week, that was Monday, by the end of the week, the German government had already said, we'll take care of one for sure, and we're probably going to take care of possibly all 15 for you. I'm talking $750,000 of provision that just happened because God does it. When he puts it in your heart, he does it. But unfortunately, our hearts are inclined to default to things that don't help us in our faith. The Bible says, set your heart on things above, not on this earth. And the reason why it says set your heart is that you incline your heart because your heart has a tendency to decline. I wish it was like that. You remember that, um, that infomercial where it had the little cooking oven and it said set it and forget it? Do you remember that? Uh, I'm dating myself right now. But there was an infomercial for some of us who had TVs growing up. We had an infomercial and he was like, just set it and forget it. And it was so cheesy. I wish my heart was like that. I wish I could just set my heart and forget it. And it was just every, you know, I could come to service in January at church and I'd be good for all year. It'd be great. But the problem is if you have to set your heart to incline toward the things of God, that means that your default is to decline away from the things of God. And so if we don't understand that God's favor to finance things that we have, he's put in our heart is there, but our hearts tend to default to the most common denominator, which is, I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe it won't happen. And we settle for less. When, when, when our heart is, is defaulting back to God may not do this for me, we have to go to his word and look at his promises and then begin to believe his promises and reset our heart back to a place of faith. Amen? 
The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So your faith can be produced in you while you're hearing this sermon, while you're hearing the word of God preached. When a preacher gets up and says, I know you feel like it might not be going well for you, but greater is he that is in you, the Bible says, than he that's in the world. And if you go through the scripture and begin to encourage yourself on the promises of God, you can literally take the faith that you have from that word and apply it to your heart, which tries to default toward, there's no way I can get this promise. There's no way I'm going to have that happen in my life. There's no way that I'm going to get that relationship. There's no way that I'm not going to be 40 and single. I probably shouldn't say that one. There's, I'll, find, I'll find you somewhere. Sooner or later, I'm going to find you. But what happens is, if we put our heart in the things that God, that's why the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. He allows us to take his word and put it in our heart and inform our emotions because your emotions will lie to you, brothers and sisters. You won't feel like doing it all the time. You will plant that seed and wonder why it's not growing, why it's not working. I put, an, I put a seed into the offering. I know that God honors those that give. So I put that seed in there, but I'm still struggling in my bank account. I'm still struggling in my job. I'm still struggling in these different places. Why is it not working? And the Bible gives us the word of God to stand on his promises, to invest them into our hearts so that our emotions don't overwhelm us, but his word is what overwhelms us. The Bible says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock is Christ Jesus. So if we get in here and we're overwhelmed by some things in life, don't worry. We're leaving on a high because because we're going to celebrate Jesus in this place. We're going to lift Jesus up. We're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to share word about Jesus. And in doing so, we set our hearts on the rock, which is able to lift us to the point where we're no longer bound by an overwhelmed heart. It's a heart matter. Unfortunately, in America, we have a lot of heart conditions that we need to handle, but I can't do it all in one sermon. I mean, I'm just human. Give me a break. <laughs> so the second thing I believe the Spirit is saying to the church is we're moving into unprecedented revival. Unprecedented revival. Those are, those are church terms. I know that. But I want you to know that in order for you to have the promises of God in your life, you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says. And all these things. Everyone say all these things. The promises you want in work and life and relationship, they all hinge upon whether you put a precedent on the most important promise, and that is the salvation promise of God. Acts 2, 38-39 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. This seems like just another scripture in, the, in, a, in a book full of scriptures, but this is really Peter telling the men how to be saved. He said, this is the salvation formula for your life. He says, Repent of your sins and be baptized in what name? In Jesus' name. It's important to use the name because you're being baptized because of the one who died for you. You're putting his name on you because he died for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for what? The remission of sins. In other words, when you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. He doesn't hold it against you, but there's still a record in heaven because God is a just God and he must bring justice to every situation. So therefore, you need a remission. It's, it's necessary for him to clear the ledger. So you have a record on the books 
in heaven, even though you're forgiven when you ask God on earth. And so what you have to do is you have to apply the name of Jesus Christ to your life in order to cover those sins with the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. That's what a blood covering means. They did it all throughout the Old Testament. They offered animals all throughout the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, it calls Jesus Christ the spotless lamb who can take away the sins of not just a nation, not just a people, but a world. He died for the whole world, every possible human being that would ever take a breath until the day they take their last breath. He can save their soul. Thank God for a Jesus like that who takes a Roman crucifixion torture device and makes it my life and my hope and makes me beautifully new in the fact that he died for me. That is powerful. So, of course, I have to understand that there are some things that God does for me and feels amazing when I ask God to forgive me. But there's even more great things when you get baptized in the name of Jesus and wash away all of your sins. Every record. It's like this. I, I, when I was younger, I liked to drive a little fast. I'll, I'll say that. I didn't drive fast all the time, but once in a while, uh, I drove a little faster than I should. And every once in a while, they would turn on those disco lights behind me and want me to dance. You know, the world just loves you to dance, says Tim Hawkins in his bit. What I wanted, what what I wanted was, I wanted to keep driving, but I had a problem with driving a little too fast. And so when the cop came up to the window, he tapped on the window. He said, "I, I see you got pulled over uh, a year ago for going a little too fast." He goes, "You're going a little too fast right now. Do you have a problem with going a little too fast?" I said, "Well, you see, officer, I have this weight in this shoe." One shoe is weighted differently than the other shoe, and it makes me go faster. No, actually, he told me that I had, he, re, he was able to go to his computer and he was able to pull up my record. I had a license to drive. I had permission to drive. And I was driving legally. I was forgiven for those things that I was doing and still allowed to keep my license and drive. But there was still a record on the books. It's the same thing with forgiveness and baptism. Forgiveness is you have a license to see God work in your life. You have a license to have God's forgiveness on your life and have your sins washed away. But you still have a record in the computer of heaven that needs to be wiped away. And the only way to do that is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of that record. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? So when you have a record, it doesn't mean that God takes away his ability to bless you until you do certain things. What it means is if you're going to get right with God, you're going to get everything taken care of. I don't want my life to have a record. I don't want people to look at me and go, oh, that's, yeah, that's Joe. He's got this going on and that going on, and you should see all the stuff he used to do. We all got some past that's not for public consumption. Hello, somebody. We all have some things we did, and if you think you're perfect, we'll ask you to leave right now because you're wrecking, you're wrecking this church right now because we're, we're not perfect, and there's no way we can be perfect like you, so please exit. <laughs> but what happens in the situation is God actually remits sin, and then he says, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So the promise, verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and all who are far 
off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We're the ones afar off. We're the ones that God still calls. And so we find out that we can repent and God forgives our sins. We can be baptized in the name of Jesus and he erases the record in heaven. So when the enemy comes to our life and when the devil comes and starts to whisper in your ear, you remember what you did? Remember what you said? You can say, no, no. I went down in the watery grave. I got some things that I did. Yeah, I realized that, but I got them buried in the name of Jesus. And you can't go under the blood, devil, and drag up something that God's already put under there. It's amazing how God will remit something and take it away from our life. I'm so glad I don't have to stand before God for everything I've always I've done. I'm glad that there's some things that are just completely under the blood. And when God looks at the sin that used to be on the record, all he sees is red because Jesus' blood is applied to my life. That's what it means. And so I want his favor on my life. I want unprecedented revival in my life. And the only way that I'm going to do that is when I make the promise in Acts 39, the precedent in my life. And so when I go after this promise, for the promise is unto you and your children and all that are, when I go after that promise first, I make every other promise possible in my life. That's what I'm saying for the promise of unprecedented revival. Number three, favor to finance. I already got that one. I want to talk to you a little bit about a boy's lunch. Jesus was with the disciples and he was teaching the crowds you may know the story of the boy with the two fish and five loaves how I remember that is fish are harder to get than bread so I remember there's two fish and five loaves and he was teaching and everybody got hungry and he's like well every, someone go to Culver's and get them something to eat and they're like you know how much it costs to buy all these people Culver's value baskets there's no way well then get them something from Whole Foods it needs to be healthy that's even worse Jesus it's going to cost this much and he's like no no well you you feed them they're like we don't we don't have that kind of food and then all of a sudden a little boy says hey i got two fish and five loaves and then like okay well i guess we'll take that to jesus you know little as much in the hands of the lord right so don't ever calculate the difference between what you have and what god calls you to do because sometimes what god calls you to do is found in the things that you think are significant and so David's out slinging a rock at some stuff and practicing, and all of a sudden you see him several several chapters later slinging a rock at Goliath and being the hero of Israel. The insignificant things are often the things that God puts the most thing the most power into your life in. And so we have to realize that this boy is is willing to sacrifice his lunch, and he gives it to Jesus. Jesus says, "Okay, hold on, we have some provision here, but it's not enough. But if you want me to bless the provision and provide for everybody, you're going to." have to prepare for the provision oh that's a good word right there you need to prepare for God's provision in fact I will tell you that God will not release provision for what you want done in your life until you prepare for it so what he does is he has them all sit down in groups of 50 I'm going to bless this lunch and I'm going to feed everybody and I'm going to multiply and do an amazing miracle but before I do the miracle you have to prepare for the miracle and so what happens is he has them all sit down and he blesses the miracle. And when they have prepared, the provision shows up. How many of you can say you've truly prepared for what God, what you want God to do in your life? How many can say that you've truly set yourself in a place where you can say, I I I'm ready. I know you want to get married, but have you made yourself marriage material? Should I go there? I know. <laughs> I know. I well, I'm getting in trouble now. I know you want a new car, but have you checked on your credit? 
I know you want a house, but have you looked into a savings plan so you can put down a down payment? Have you prepared yourself for the things you're asking God to provide for? And if you put, if you put the preparation in, I promise you, God will bring you heavenly provision for it to happen. He will. This place is an example of it. I was just telling my friends about that. How we didn't, we didn't know how God was going to do it, but God put a vision in, and he provided provision for the vision, and we got here. And so I think if we just trust God and we prepare ourselves that God will do great things. So the other thing that I found that I wanted to tell you was that there is a way to have the promise of God and not have it enacted in your life. How many know that you can have a promise of God and not have it enacted in your life? You can have God promise you things, but oftentimes your response to the promise is just as important as the promise itself. If you don't activate yourself on a promise, you may never see God bring the provision. You may never see God bring that promise to pass in your life. Oftentimes, God will show us places in the scripture where he makes a promise so great like he did to Abraham that I was reading and I'm wrapping up, is that if Abraham would have doubted God, if Abraham would have said, there's no possible way this could ever happen, then Abraham would have showed himself to not be passionate about it, to not have faith for it, and he would have never received it. I really believe that we're looking at a story in Romans chapter 4 where Abraham said, if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And if we get that kind of attitude in our heart about the things that we see God doing in our life, if we say, hey, God brought me here, God's going to do it, and that's settled because he's always going to come through. There is a faith that grows out of that that can make you and provide for you and do anything, and you can do anything with that. I promise you, I don't know how to get to where we are right now, and I don't know how to get to where we're going, but we're going to get there. I don't know how to do 30 plus sites in Thailand for, life, for Project Lifespring, but we're going to get there. I don't know how to finish all these 15 sites in Sri Lanka, but we're going to get there. You want to know why? Because I believe God is well able. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not unqualified for the job. In fact, the Bible says that he's able to do exceeding abundant above all we could ever ask or even think. Think of the most lofty. Think of the most highest dream you could ever have. And guess what? You are so, you're giving God something so underqualified for him. He is overqualified for every task you need him to touch in your life. He's so overqualified that you might want to even dismiss him and say, I'll take care of it myself. But why don't you hand it off to him because you weren't meant to carry some things beyond the cross. You weren't meant to take some things in your own hands. Why don't you let him handle it because he's got scars for provision. He's got stripes for healing. He's got a body that was bruised for our transgressions and he was sent here to save us from not just our sin but to help us in life. His lessons are true and helpful. So how do you receive his promises? Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. You ready? We're finishing with this. Are you ready? I'm not convinced at all. Are you ready? All right. When I get tired of that old cycle, of that same old getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home, I just have to remind myself that this world's not my home. Amen? We're just passing through. And so the, the fifth thing was we have to be rapture ready. I'll talk more about that another time because I want to give you how to get to a promise, and I've used up my time. Romans 4 and 18, would you give me that real quick? How do you receive a promise that God has given to you? Verse 18 is this, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken? So 
shall thy seed be. In other words, he said, he believed the promise. Everyone say he believed the promise. It's one thing to have hope. Hope is a very powerful thing. There's few things more powerful than hope. Some of the things that are more powerful than hope, obviously, is hatred. I think, I think even um, love is more powerful. But what he did was he acted upon his hope. He believed that there was something more powerful that could make all things happen, even to the point that we get to verse 20, and he doesn't stagger at the promise of God. Verse 20, he doesn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And it even says that he didn't consider his own body. Sometimes, or how many times have you considered your own limitations when you're looking at doing something for the Lord or looking at doing something in your life? Every dream, I'll tell you this, every dream is an end product. You want to run that thing, you want to manage that thing, you want to be the person that calls the shots or you want to be the person that has a has a wonderful uh, has a wonderful ability to raise your children and, and lead them into great successes in life if that is your dream I promise you the pathway there has struggle in it and how you handle the moments of struggle will tell God whether you're staggering at his promises I often find that mothers who think they're doing a horrible job with their kids are actually doing a better job than they think and fathers who are like I just don't know if I'm being a good dad I'm trying so hard they're doing better than they even know but I find it even more interesting that a, a promise to a man who could no longer have children and a woman who could no longer have children he said if God makes the body I guess he can make it possible for us to have another child. He waited for 10 years for that promise. We always think that a dream is like right around the corner. Like we, we ask God for something. God, would you give me a better job? God, would you give me a nicer car? Because this one's a jalopy and it's falling apart. And I need to go to my work and I need to be on time. God, would you do this for that or that for me? And we expect that he is going to give it to us tomorrow. And sometimes he does answer quickly. But sometimes we have enough time where we could stagger at the promise of God. But he didn't. And so he was promised at the age of 90. He did not see the son promised to him born until he was 100 years old. But he was fully persuaded, verse 21. So he believed the promise... Everyone say, believe the promise. He didn't stagger at the promise. They don't stagger at the promise. And he was fully persuaded that God was well able. My tour guide in Alaska was not well able. But I'm fully convinced by looking around this room at all the miracles that are here today, because you are a miracle. And God's been speaking to you for a long time. He's been talking to your heart. Some of you have even told me, it's been a long journey. I saw things that I thought would be here sooner, but we're not here yet. And I'm still believing God that it's going to happen. And I want you to know that I have a perfect example of this. 
and my grandfather who came back to the Lord. And I tell this story often because I really feel like if you're going to get a hold of the things of God, if you're going to make the promise of salvation your precedent, you'll see all the other promises come to pass. And my grandmother made the promise that my grandfather was going to come back to the Lord after he had left the church and he had gone away from God. He's sitting in a boat. He was licensed to preach as a minister. He turns in his license. He decides, I'm not going to live for God because he got bitter. You have a choice, brothers and sisters. You always have a choice. No matter what anybody says, you can either be bitter or you can forgive. That's the switch. Your heart knows nothing else. You either forgive people when they do you wrong or you build bitterness about it. And he built bitterness about a wrongdoing that was done in his life. And while he was sitting in a boat, fishing, drunk, a bird would fly by and God would give him a sermon. God was still trying to tell him, your promise is there if you want it. And he didn't know how to handle that. He didn't know why God would still be speaking to him when he had given up on God. And he said, I, I'm not into that church thing. I'm not going to do that anymore. If that's what it's like, the way people hurt other people, I'm not interested in that. But unfortunately, he saw the, the wrong model of a family of God. He saw the wrong thing. And he told me as we were sitting on a park bench about a year before he died, he said, I knew if I died today, I would split hell wide open. Those were his exact words. A little bit old school, right? Split hell wide open. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that before. Maybe not in a long time. But it's still true. He said, I made the promise of God more important to me than the bitterness that I had over the lifetime of things I saw wrong. He goes, and when I came back to God, he walked into a church. My grandmother had had a dream of my grandfather standing at the front of the church with his hands lifted, returning to God, saying, like we did earlier, I surrender. And she had that dream and waited 10 years, just like Abraham did for his promise. 10 years later, that Sunday night, he said, can I go to church with you? And he walked down to an altar, what we call an altar, and he lifted his hands and he surrendered. And while she stood in the back area, the back row, she looked forward and she saw her dream come true. Same wood paneling, same windows in the dream, same pulpit. She didn't have any clue that he would come back to God at that pulpit, at that altar. But she saw it in a dream 10 years earlier and she held on to the promise. That may be a big thing, but what kind of promises are you holding on to? I'm asking you to get a death grip on the promises that God's put in your life. Get a hold of them and don't let go. Because you deserve every word he spoke over you. I don't know what you're dealing with and I know what you've come here with today. But I will tell you this. If you haven't sought God for the promise of God, you should do that today. If you need to wash away a record on the computer of heaven, you should do that and not wait. Bible says here is water what hinders to be baptized there's so many reasons why urgency is applied 
to our salvation promise because you cannot, you can hold on to those promises and not have the greatest promise in your life of salvation. And that salvation is the door opening to all the other promises. If you will but obey the word of God and let it be a, a space for grace for you. Would you stand with me as I ask you this question? Have you been in a place where you knew you needed more of God? Have you been in a place where you knew you didn't have all that God wanted for you? And have you been in a moment, I can't tell you how beautiful it is to have God fulfill his promises in your life. I know it's a personal story and I apologize for that, but Whenever we moved here to Brookfield, I didn't think we had enough to do what we're doing. I felt like God had called me to this. I felt like God had called a boy that had a mess of a background. And I was like, how am I going to be good enough, Dana? How am I going to do this? How is it even possible? And God said, why are you considering yourself in this? If you will lay yourself down and surrender your life to me, I will make it all happen for you. And Abraham did the same. He didn't consider his body. He didn't consider himself. But he just simply said, God, I surrender. I surrender all to you. And it reminded me of a story that I closed with. And it was a little boy who built a boat. It's one of those little boats that you build with a little sail. And he was floating it in the river by his house. And got away from him and he didn't have a long enough string to hold on and the boat floated down the river he chased it it was a prized possession he had built it by hand but it got away and slipped out into the lake and he wasn't able to get to it and he tried to follow it but he couldn't follow it have you ever had a promise slip away from you that you thought got away and he tried to follow it tried to see where it landed and went around the lake to see if it was there and it wasn't there when he got there and he was grieved and he was sad because it was his favorite boat. And a week later, he was walking through town and right in the window of the resale shop, there was his boat sitting there for sale. And he was like, that's my boat. And so he runs into the store and he says, Mr. Retail? <laughs> I don't know what his name was, but he said, that, it, that boat in the window. He's like, yeah, it's for sale. It's nice, isn't it? He goes, I built that boat. I bought the pieces for that boat. I assembled it. I painted it. I put up the I put up the scaffolding and I put up the sails and that's my boat. And he's like, "Well, that's very nice, son. I I can appreciate that. But that's a boat that was traded in and it's for sale for $50." And he's like, "No, no, no. You don't understand. That was my boat. That was my boat." He said, okay, well, I understand that, but you can have that boat back if you bring me $50. And so he went home and he began to save his money and he told his mom and his mom and dad's heart were obviously moved and they helped him and they went back to the resale shop and they bought back what was rightfully his. And that's what Jesus does for us. If we put his promise first in our life of salvation, we tell him that what he purchased for us is more important than anything else. And he brings all the other things into our life. But what happens 
is when he died on the cross, he bought back what was originally his, and that's us. We were the ones that got lost. We were the ones that went away. We were the ones that fell into sin. But when God comes to our life, he says, you're mine. But I need you to do some things that because I purchased you, there's, there's some application that needs to take place. And so I'm wondering today, are you willing to use the app for that? Are you willing to apply some things to your life? If you'd bow your heads with me, I'd like to pray for you because I really do feel like there's an opportunity today for someone to open a door to all the future promises by opening their heart to the greatest promise, and that is salvation. God, would you touch every person in here? Would you walk them through a place in their life and remind them how you purchased them back and provided for them? And you were the one that was there when no one else was there. If they ever cried a tear on a pillow at night, just because they didn't feel you doesn't mean you are absent, God. Remind them that you were there and got them through all those hard times. And you were the ones shining on their face in the good times. But would you remind us, oh God, that there is a need in our heart. There is, a, there is an issue and a thing to be handled with heaven, and that is our salvation. The promise of salvation must be handled in order for the door to be opened. And I pray that door open in somebody's life. I speak it in the name of Jesus, that someone would have the ability and the, and the courage to give God a space of grace, to let grace work in their life. And they would be obedient to the word of God today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen.